in many parts of this world, our brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing unimaginable suffering. I want you to have a look at a little video clip now, if you would. Every year, Open Doors publishes the World Watch List to focus the world's attention on those 50 countries in which Christians are persecuted the most. Compared to last year, three countries are new in this ranking. Number 46, Azerbaijan. Besides Islamic gatherings, only traditional Christian churches are allowed to hold worship services freely. But fewer and fewer churches can function legally. Muslim background believers have to bear massive pressure from family and society. They get accused of betraying religion and culture by converting to the Christian faith. Number 41, Turkey. The reigning government party, AKP, is openly trying to establish a more Islamic society. For officially recognized churches, like the Armenian or Greek Orthodox Church, religious freedom remains severely limited. Number 38, Mexico. To a large extent, persecution originates from drug cartels and other criminal organizations. They see churches as a direct threat and target them accordingly. Rural communities also put massive pressure on small churches. The five countries in which Christians are persecuted the most are Number five, Afghanistan. Society adheres to a strict interpretation of Islam which does not tolerate any visible sign of Christian life. Muslims who become Christians run the risk of being sentenced to death according to Sharia law by the authorities or of being murdered by Islamists or their own family. Expat Christians are also increasingly becoming targets of the Taliban and other extremist groups. Number four, Syria. Persecution of Christians in Syria is carried out mainly by Islamic groups such as the Islamic State, IS. Many Christians have fled to neighboring countries. Those who stay are in danger of being expelled, oppressed, or murdered in the most gruesome ways. Number three, Iraq. The advance of the Islamic State into Iraq caused thousands of Christians to flee. Many of them were robbed, abused, or killed. In large parts of the country, attacks on Christians and their churches are on the rise. Number two, Somalia. Islamic religious leaders maintain publicly that the country needs to stay strictly Islamic and that there is no room for Christians in Somalia. The Islamist group Al-Shabaab continues to actively persecute Christians. Christians who are discovered have to fear for their lives. As in the previous 13 years, North Korea is the number one country for persecuting Christians. Tens of thousands of Christians are detained in prison camps, are brutally tortured and are subjugated to forced labor. Being discovered as a Christian in North Korea is virtually the same as receiving a death sentence. It's a disturbing and distressing reality, isn't it? in our world today. And it's important that we don't turn away and hide from it. We're called to not forget our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Hebrews 13 says, Remember those in prison, as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are ill-treated, as if you yourselves were suffering. God wants us to remember them, to pray for them, and to do what we can to support them. As Galatians 6 says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those to whom belong, who belong to the family of believers. 
And one of the ministries that we support as a church is the Barnabas Fund. And who do this particularly in the Muslim world. But as we think about the persecuted church, we also need to be careful in how we think about this persecution. It would be so easy to look at these persecuted Christians and think that they are so far from living a blessed life. But Jesus actually wants us to have a completely different attitude. In the last of his Beatitudes, Jesus claimed that it's those who are persecuted for their faith in him who are truly blessed. I'm going to read this from Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, down to verse 12, finishing our little series on the Beatitudes this week. So it's Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Beatitudes are not like a pick and mix sweetie shop. Anybody likes pick and mix? You can pick what you like and just leave out the ones you don't like. It's great, isn't it? But with the Beatitudes, we're not allowed to do that. We're not invited to select which of those that we want and which that we don't. Instead, all of the Beatitudes that we've looked at over the past couple of months describe what Jesus intends all of his followers to be. He wants all of us to be poor in spirit, to mourn, to be meek, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be merciful, to be pure in heart, and to be peacemakers. Every single one of us who have trusted in Jesus, this is the character that God wants to see in us. And so that is true even of this last one. When Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted, he expected this to be the experience of all of his followers. Now, of course, this comes in different ways in different countries. And those on that video that we just watched on the Open Doors watch list, it comes in an extreme way through government oppression, discrimination, imprisonment, beatings, torture, or even death. Thankfully for now, we have the privilege to express our faith in freedom. Free from official sanction. However, we can still experience persecution in other forms. As Jesus says here in Matthew 5 and 11, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Some of us know what that feels like as well, don't we? We've experienced people criticising us for our faith. Maybe being ridiculed at school, at college, at work, or even at home. 
Something sort of old-fashioned values, as they're called. Being ostracized from others. Or just being put under pressure to conform to what everybody else is doing. What everybody else is thinking or saying. But this shouldn't shock us. Because Jesus promised that this would be the experience of all of his followers. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus said. And so Peter wrote, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. If you find yourself suffering for your faith, don't be surprised. That's not strange. That's to be expected. And the Apostle Paul warned Timothy that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's probably not the most popular truth in the Bible. I would very much doubt that that would be your favourite verse in the whole of the Bible. But it is one that is so clear in Scripture. If we are following Jesus, we should be ready for persecution to come into our lives. Maybe to be insulted, attacked, wrongly accused, ridiculed. To, be, to experience that is as much a mark of Christian discipleship as any of the other on this list of Beatitudes. The blessed are those who are gentle. But they suffer aggression and violence. The blessed are merciful to others. Even as people are horrible to them. The blessed are those who seek to bring others into real peace. Even although they're unfairly attacked. But why? Why should the blessed experience persecution? Well, we need to be careful. This isn't about suffering because we're being strange or we're being awkward or we're being judgmental or we're being arrogant with people. It doesn't get us off the hook when we're just not, not very nice to other people and we, we, we receive in kind. Jesus said that this persecution will come, first of all, because of righteousness. It was a few weeks ago that we looked at the Beatitude when it says, the blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In verse 6. They are the ones who have rejected this do-it-yourself religion and this self-righteousness. And instead they've put their faith in Christ and in Christ alone for their right standing before God. And they are committed through the power of the Holy Spirit to increasingly live a life that pleases God. And they work and they pray for others to come into that right relationship with God and to live a life that pleases Him. But this brings with it criticism and opposition from those who reject the idea of an absolute moral standard in this world. Or who reject the reality of sin in their lives. Or who refuse to accept that they have a responsibility to follow God's commands. Or those who don't accept the powerlessness of religion to make them right with God. Persecution 
is like a, a clash of two irreconcilable value systems. If like Paul, we make it our goal to please Him, to please our Lord, then we're going to find ourselves sometimes hated and insulted by those who live for a different goal and with different values. Jesus also said that this persecution will come because of me, he said. This is about suffering because of our commitment to Jesus. In the upper room, just before going to the cross, Jesus explained this to his disciples. He said this in John chapter 15, in verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. The world has always rebelled against God. And the world rejected His Son. Today we see that continuing in the, as Jesus' virgin birth is ridiculed. As His identity is questioned. As his teaching is minimized, as his miracles are rejected, his death is reinterpreted, his resurrection is mocked, his name is used as a swear word, and his claim to be the way, the truth, and the life is labeled as intolerant. Today, this world still rejects Jesus. And so if this is how the world treats our Lord and Saviour, then if we identify with Jesus, if we are the ones who put their faith in Him, and who choose to daily follow Him, then at times we will suffer the same rejection and the same ridicule. So if we are living for Christ, if we are following him and his teaching, then persecution in some form or other is inevitable. But the question what I want to focus on this morning is, how should we respond to that? How should we respond when we are persecuted, when we are insulted, when we are criticized, when we are rejected because of our faith? How does God want us to think about our persecution. Well, first of all, we mustn't retaliate. This is what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. All through his trial, as insults were thrown at him, as lies were told about him, as accusations were made against him, and even as the beatings and the floggings rained down on him, Jesus refused To retaliate. He didn't lash out. He didn't use his knowledge of their hearts to attack them. 
He didn't use their understanding of his, their hypocrisy to hurt them. Instead, he simply entrusted him to his father, who would deal with it in his proper time. And God wants us to be willing to do the same. If we want to be among those who are blessed, then we need to respond with meekness and, with, and, and gentleness and not with aggression. With mercy, not with vengeance. Seeking to make peace, not fighting to destroy. That's because Jesus calls us to live a life of love. Later in his sermon, Jesus taught this in more detail when he said in Matthew 5.44, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If we are followers of Jesus, then we are called to love. To love those who hate us. To be kind to those who mistreat us. To care for those who abuse us. To pray for those who ridicule us. This is what it means to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Because he was the one who laid down his life for us. When we were sinners. When we were still God's enemies. He loved us and he gave everything for us. And even as the soldiers nailed his hands and his feet to the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. So, we mustn't retaliate. We mustn't fight back. But that doesn't mean we just get, get defeated by it. We don't need just them simply kind of stoically endure that persecution or just sit and passively put up with it. That's not what the prophets did. Jesus said, in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The prophets were men and women of God that God raised up to declare His truth. However, so many of them experienced terrible opposition and attacks. Just recently I've been reading through the book of Jeremiah. And there's just a catalogue of all the things that he suffered in his life. From false accusations, from death threats, imprisonment, starvation, being thrown down a well to die, and being forced into exile in Egypt. And so many of the other prophets didn't experience anything better. Hebrews 11 says, some faced jeers and flogging. While still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted and ill-treated. But these prophets were not defeated by their sufferings. They didn't retreat into stoic silence or passive resignation. In the face of all this opposition, they continued to take their stand for God. They called out to God for help. And they spoke courageously for God in their generation. This is what the early church in Jerusalem did. 
when God healed a, a crippled beggar at the entrance to the temple through Peter and John. The Sanhedrin interrogated Peter and John and threatened them never to speak about Jesus again. But Acts 4 records how they responded to this. They went back to the church and told them what had happened. And then they prayed an amazing prayer. They started by declaring their faith in who God is and what he has done. Verse 24 of Acts 4 says this, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And then they looked to the scriptures to be reminded that even when evil men rise up, God is still in control. Verse 25, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And then they remembered how they'd seen God work even through the evil actions of others in their day, through the actions of the Roman authorities and also their Jewish leaders. Verse 27, he says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. When they watched it as as their Saviour and Lord was crucified, the disciples initially thought it was a disaster. Now they realised it was all God's plan of salvation. They realised this is what God had willed all, all the way before that. And so now, as they were the ones who were suffering, they were encouraged to pray to God to continue to work, even in their present suffering. Verse 29, Now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In the face of this persecution, in the face of these death threats, they didn't pray for safety or for rescue or an easy life. Instead, they prayed for the courage And the strength to keep on declaring the gospel. And they prayed for God to come and to work in power to impact the lives of those who listened. And God powerfully answered this prayer. Verse 31 says, after they prayed, the place where the meeting was shaken, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And spoke the word of God boldly. The early church suffered greatly. But they weren't silenced by it. Instead through God's help. 
they overcame it. To declare God's truth in their generation. Just as the prophets had done earlier. And this is what God wants us to do in our lives. Yes, we may go through incredibly difficult times. But God has promised to go with us through it. He's promised to strengthen us in it. And he's promised to work through it for our good and for his glory. So although persecution isn't pleasant by any stretch of the imagination, we don't need to despair. We may be insulted, mistreated, slandered, attacked, robbed, even killed. But we don't need to feel sorry for ourselves. We don't need to fall into misery or hopelessness. Like Paul, we can say, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. That's because despite the evidence of what we can see around us, when we are persecuted for our commitment to Christ, we are blessed. Blessed are those who are persecuted. In fact, Jesus said, Rejoice and be glad. That's not because we enjoy the suffering. Of course it isn't. But it is because through our faith in Christ, we can see beyond the suffering. Jesus said that we can rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. We may lose everything that this world has to offer. But we will inherit everything that heaven has to offer. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's an eternal kingdom. That will never end. That will never fade. That will never be replaced. So in 2 Corinthians 4 and 17, Paul declared that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. From this world's perspective, persecution doesn't feel like light or momentary. Even the kind of persecution that we face here in Ireland can be deeply painful and upsetting. And it can seem like it goes on forever. But God has promised that in the light of eternity, it only lasts for a moment. And in the light of the glory to come, it just pales into insignificance. And so for a short time, we have the honour of bearing the name of Jesus. We have the privilege of suffering for him. And of seeing his kingdom grow through our struggles. And that should make us rejoice. A little bit later in the book of Acts, 
when the apostles were flogged by the Sanhedrin and threatened never to speak about Jesus again. Acts 5 and 41 states something that's just amazing. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They knew that they were blessed because they knew that they were members of God's kingdom, that God was with them in the suffering, that God was working through their pain, that God would bring them safely home one day and they counted it as a privilege to suffer for the one who loved them and gave himself for them. And today, the blessed are those who have that same attitude in their lives. Could you have a look at this little video clip again, please? This is a call to faith. A call to courage. Because wherever the gospel is preached, when Jesus is proclaimed, people react. Hearts respond. Some in faith. Others in fear. Some are inspired to love. Others are provoked to anger. Some join us into following Jesus. Others rise up against us. Then we turn to God in prayer. Standing firm in our faith. And not giving in to fear. We put our trust in God. To enable us to preach the word. With great boldness. We live the story of our Savior. The story of our family throughout history. And throughout the world today. Despite opposition, the gospel is preached. The kingdom advances, the church grows. And in our hearts, suffering produces perseverance. Character and hope. Our eternal joy outweighs our grief pain. We are the comforted who give comfort. We are the weak who become strong. We are the persecuted church. 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 One with Christ. So this is the life that Jesus said is blessed. They are poor in spirit. Aware of how far short of God's standards they have fallen. They deeply mourn over this reality. This helps them to be gentle in their relationships with others. But it stirs up a hunger for that right standing before God through faith in Christ. And through the experience of God's amazing love, they reach out in mercy and compassion to those around them who are in need. And they do this with a gentle heart, with a pure heart, rejecting hypocrisy and mixed motives. And they work tirelessly to share with others the peace that God has given to them. And even although they are opposed and slandered and persecuted on account of their faith, they rejoice in the privilege of witnessing for Christ because they know that it will be worth it all. This is what it means to be blessed. And this is what Jesus wants each one of us to experience. And I pray that this will be all of ours today.